This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome in to another edition of Inside Carolina's Football Scouting Report, starring the man. It joins me on the screen, Jason Staples, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com, mm. as always. Greatest review us. Subscribe. I want reviews on Apple iTunes and where you get your podcast feed. I, five star ratings are wonderful, but I want honest ratings. Same with all the videos we do and everything. Just drop us a comment. Let us know how we're doing, what you want, what you don't want, all the good stuff. Jason, this is number four, I believe. We started with safeties, corners, linebackers, edge rushers. So that's this this number five. I mean, it's the defensive tackles and We've talked a lot. Probably the most criticized group on the team. And quite frankly, I'll say it and save you having to say it. Judging from the production, it's been deserved. Uh, Matt Brown did a few things in the offseason to address the issues. Let's go play by, player by player here, and we'll sort of get into it. Javari Ritzy, number one. We talked about him at length on the edge. I prefer him inside just because I think he's more effective and quicker on the inside than he is on the outside, um, given who he's going up against. But your take on Ritzy here at the defensive tackle position. Yeah, I mean, interesting thing with him is, I think in pass rush situations, I think he's much better inside. Uh, and he showed a lot, I thought, in – you can go back and watch the pit game in particular. He he had a really good game as, a, as an interior pass rusher, uh, made, made a few – uh, a few had a few pressures against NC State, I think, as well. A couple where he got off off blocks, but I th- against the run, I, I thought he struggled last year on the interior. Uh, Notre Dame, in particular, when he was on the field, they went straight at his gap. Uh, they Notre Dame, Notre Dame, I thought last year identified Power Eccles on the second level and uh, Ritzy on the first level as guys that they actually went after 
in terms of, of schematically, in terms of running the football at those guys, at, at Ritzy in particular, and then targeting Eccles uh, as, in pass coverage. And, you know, those guys, they're, they're talented guys, and I think they've got some ways to, uh, to, to build on, on that. And I thought Eccles, by the end of the year, you know, you look at how he covered against Oregon, and he, he'd taken some strides. Uh, Ritzy, the, the situation there is that you're talking about a guy who I think has flashed really, really good power. He's a guy who, you know, he's a former shot putter. You can see it when his feet are under him, when he, when he really comes off the ball well. He, he can move guys. He's got strong hands. He can, when he gets up underneath you, he can really uh, uh, do a lot with his, with, with, with his power and power through the hips and all of that problem was that, it, and this is going to be a refrain through this whole position group is his footwork was, was pretty abysmal last year. Uh, and he did not deliver that power with consistency and there were a lot of times where, especially against double teams, if, if teams, you know, double teamed him at the point of attack, he got washed too easily. Uh, and you'd see him, you know, moving two yards one way or another, and you just can't have that. And that's something that I think coming into this year, that's one of the places where the Carolina defensive line can improve the most is there were just too many cases last year where you saw defensive linemen where they understood that their job was to occupy blocks but it's not good when you're occupying blocks a yard and a half upfield and two yards to the left of where you started, mm-hmm. right? That's not where you want to be. You want to be occupying those blocks. If let's say you get a double team, a really good job on that double team is you press the middle of it and you stalemate it right there in the same spot that you were the whole way, or maybe you get moved half a yard or something, but you're forcing those guys to stop right there. You don't want to get washed. You don't want to be, you know, kind of moving two yards down the field because that puts you in the lap of the linebacker that, that moves the gaps that opens space for, for backs. And, and that was one of the things that Ritzy I thought was uh, I thought he struggled with last year. Uh, it was, was glaring against app state. Yeah. That early. Yeah. Yeah, it was glaring against App State, and you saw it. You saw it as late as the Oregon game. There, there were several snaps against Oregon where you see, you know, little double team, and all of a sudden you see you see the defensive tackle uh, or the big end three yards upfield trying to walk, work his way back into the play, and you're like, "What are you doing there? Like, why didn't you just anchor? You you felt you should have felt the double team and just anchored." gotten your gotten your hips down met the pressure with pressure and press the middle of that double team so those guys have to stop right there and all of a sudden everything else closes down for your defense and to me that's something that that Ritzy can do I've seen him do it so it's not a matter of ability it's a matter of consistency and getting that those fundamentals fixed I think he can do that I think that's been a fu- uh, uh, one of the most encouraging things about spring practice to me was I got a chance in uh when, when i got to watch practice more closely down at the field level uh i watched them in drills and i watched them focusing on exactly these kinds the drills to work on exactly these kinds of things so if if you can take the drills i mean it's the whole thing take the practice range to the golf course is a whole different thing but if you can take those drills to the field and they can actually get consistent with doing those things correctly, then, then a guy like Ritzy has so much talent and so much interior, so much quickness on that first and second step when he does let it go for an interior player that he can actually 
go from being what I thought was a bit of a liability against the run last year to a guy that could be a plus player against the run at the ACC level. So I, I think that's an interesting case for him. Uh, and I think it'll make him a better pass rusher as well. So he's a guy that I think has underachieved or at least underachieved last year. I thought he was right around where he should have been as a freshman, thought he underachieved as a sophomore, but he's a guy that still could be a, an NFL draft pick and a guy that could be a, you know, a 10 year, a 10 year pro. I mean, he's got that kind of raw talent and body and, and power and, and length and all of the things that you, you ask for from a guy who plays his position. Yes, yeah, interesting. I was talking to um, a head coach at North Carolina the other day, and I said, at what point is it coaching versus the player not doing what they're supposed to do? And he said, there's a line there, you know. And he said, we're comfortable with teaching what we teach. They need to execute. I'm sure that that is an issue that has been addressed heavily. And like you said, in spring ball, um, it was clearly addressed just watching it and those limited appearances that we got to see. Let's move on down the line. I have a feeling folks are going to hear many of the same things. Um, so you can probably just say um, that reference, what I just said, you know, rewind the tape, play that section. Kendrick Bingley Jones, a, a guy who's, who's stayed injured. Um, he's tough to evaluate and, and you struggled to evaluate him because he hasn't played enough. But just what did you see briefly from him and what can he provide this team at that position? Well, he's another guy. I mean, you look at him, he's 6'4 and a quarter, 313 pounds. I mean, that's yeah. not just size. That's not just bulk. That's size with length. And, you know, a guy that, that has the NFL-type build you want on the interior. But and, and, and I tell you what, when, I, when he first got on campus, the reports that I was getting at it, you know, initially were, this guy's going to be, you know, this guy's going to be an early draft pick, like first day, second day type guy. And then he tore his, and then he tore his Achilles. And the thing is you'd rather tear an, an ACL, you know, every time over tearing an Achilles and Achilles is a multi-year injury. And he had a bad Achilles tear. And when you've got a guy with that kind of mass already, it's, it's that much harder to rehab back from those sorts of things. And, and, you know, yeah, that Achilles injury happened in 2020. We're we're about to be three seasons removed from that, but it might have taken that long for him really to get fully back from that. And I thought last year he still didn't have quite the burst that he did before before the injury. And it's not clear he's ever going to get it back. So, you know, if he gets the kind of burst back that he showed when he first got on campus before the injury, you're looking at a guy that at that weight, when he gets moving forward can move guys back and and can put offensive linemen on skates. I mean, a very powerful man, guy with naturally heavy hands and all of that. But again, you know, you can kind of go back and fill in the blanks. The footwork hasn't been great. The overall quickness coming off the injury hasn't been great. And he's been a guy that, you know, basically to date has been sort of a, uh, he's a big body who can take up space in the interior pretty well. And going into next year, that's kind of where the floor is for him. He's a guy who can, you know, eat up eight or 10 snaps a game, especially in, you know, goal line, short yardage situations and do so while, you know, basically forcing teams to double team him to keep him from getting in the backfield or, you know, if they single, single block him, just get, you know, push a guy back a little bit and force them to go around you. That, that's kind of where his floor is. And, and he could potentially just be that. 
and and do that pretty well. And look, if you get a guy that can do that for eight or 10 snaps a game for you, that's not bad. That's not nothing. Cause that's making sure that some of your other, you know, guys that have a little bit more oomph to them in some other areas are not taking those extra, that, that extra uh, wear and tear in those short yardage situations. But again, if he can, you know, he got out of shape, got a bit overweight. You know, he was probably 335, 340 at one point. Might have been even above that. Might have been 350 based on, you know, eyeball tests at one point. Exactly. And he's worked his way back down. I think he's closer to 320 now. I think the, you know, 313 or 315 or whatever he's listed at is still aspirational. But I think he's trimmed up a good bit based on what we saw in the spring. And I thought he moved around a little better in the spring and, and showed a little bit, a little bit of, uh, of signs of life there. And if he can just take that step forward, now you're looking at a guy that can actually be a viable player in the rotation and be a, you know, a pretty good run, run down defender and a guy that, that, that starts to get on the field more, uh, essentially taking over the role that both he and silver kind of split last year, uh, taking over more of that and a little bit more. So, uh, it's not clear what you're going to get from him just because he's, he's still, still kind of working his way back into full game shape and everything after essentially two years of being on the shelf. But, uh, but I think the talent, the talent hasn't disappeared and you know, that kind of size, that kind of body is that, that can go a long way. I'm, I'm curious to see what he looks like next year, given some of the re-emphasis on some of the fun, uh, uh, fundamental things and, and greater accountability at that position. I think uh, I think he's one of the intriguing bodies at that position. Yeah, another intriguing intriguing body, one we haven't seen on the field in live action. It's Tamari Fox. He sat out last year for some some NCAA stuff. I mean, it's it's <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say there. But Fox comes back. Um, he seems to be well liked. He seems to be a guy that they think can be good for them. First of all, how do you evaluate him when he hadn't played in a year? You saw him in practice in the spring. What are your thoughts on him and what he brings? So I thought in the spring he looked basically like the same player he was the year before. I mean, I think you kind of treat him as though he's going to not skip a beat. Uh, and I think that that's both good and bad. Uh, what you're getting with him is a is is sort of that that tweener. He's not an ideal size for playing the interior. I mean, he's only six one and three quarters maybe, and he's not long even with that. I mean, he's not a long armed six, one and three quarters. He's kind of a stubby build. And in the past, you know, a couple of years ago, there, there were situations where, I mean, he had to play a lot. I mean, he played a lot of snaps uh, back in, in, uh, in 2020, he played 598 snaps. So, I mean, he was, he was playing basically starter reps and, and was a starter essentially that year, but he played a lot. And, better run teams were able to isolate him in the running game and kind of move him a little bit just because of the size issue. They got some big guys on him and and that was just a, an issue. He's not going to be asked to do that this year. He's, he's actually gotten going to have a defined role this year. I think on this team where he's going to play instead of say 600 snaps, he's probably going to play closer to 300 snaps and you know, that puts him, you know, 20 to 25 snaps a game and allows him to use what he brings to the table to be a really good player. And that is he's the quickest guy they've got on the interior. And he's also he's a former wrestler. And you can see that in how he uses his hands and his balance and his power when he is when he's fresh. The problem is, you know, he's 
only 290 and I, I, it's crazy to say but you know that's where the game is now it's so only 290 pounds on the interior and when you're playing 600 snaps at 290 pounds that eventually that you know guys start to lean on you and it starts to matter if you're playing 20 snaps a game instead of 45 snaps a game at 290 pounds now your quickness can start to give them problems and i think that's what they're going to try to do with him He's a guy that I think they're going to try to get into some pass rush situations. Uh, they'll mix him in on both neutral downs and on passing downs. And they're going to try to get him isolated on interior offensive linemen who have a little bit of trouble moving sideways. So essentially isolate the guard that you think can't move and then put this guy over top of him and try to you try to use one of your other defensive tackles to create a double team somewhere else. So he gets that one-on-one and see if he can make a play. They're all, he's also going to be used in the stunt game where, you know, you, you have another guy take, take say the center that he's over and then have him loop around. And he's quick through that, that, uh, that, that gap as a, as a stunter, as a, uh, uh, as a, as a twist player, a slanter, you know, in games, that sort of thing up front. And I think he's a guy that, that can give you some things in terms of getting penetration and potentially generating some pass pressure over the course of the year. And I think if you use him judiciously for 20 to 25 snaps a game, you can get a lot out of him. I just don't think you want to push him into that 35, 40 snaps per game, or you're going to start giving up some plays in the running game just because he's getting leaned on. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yep, 290. Big man, not a big man in college football these days. <laughs> crazy. And, and it's crazy. Kevin Hester, another guy um, that's, that's played a lot of snaps. Your thoughts on Kevin? Yeah, Hester, you know, he he's another guy. He played 516 snaps last year and uh, started nine games. I mean, he, he was he was set to be the backup behind uh, Ray Vohasek, but uh, Vohasek got hurt and ended up being Hester's year there. And I thought there was some drop-off there from what uh, Vohasek brought to the, to the table. I mean, he was a guy that, um, you know, Vohasek was the one guy that, and I never have known how to pronounce his name, by the way. It's one of those Vohasek, things. I think. I, I, you can call yeah. him Vohavik. Like a yeah, he, he was the AJ one guy West before he got it. hurt that actually got penetration or pushed guys into the backfield regularly. Hester didn't quite do as much of that. Uh, he was more of a... Uh, more of a guy that was a big bodied interior who kind of, again, took up space and tried to, tried to keep, uh, keep the linebackers clean, but he didn't really generate a whole lot of havoc. I mean, you think about his pressure rate last year, 3.3% pressure rate. Now, again, he's playing nose tackle. He's going through a lot of doubles and that sort of thing at that point, 
but that's you know that's not the best pressure rate you'd like to see that double uh, from from that spot and you know i think he has enough quickness natural quickness as a player to to be more than that but he was another guy that i thought footwork wise and in terms of how he needed to get more burst off the line of scrimmage and all of that he could have been he, he could have been more fundamentally uh uh solid in some of those areas. And I think, again, he's a guy that's 6'4", 305, and moves pretty well in a straight line and has the capacity to be a uh, to, to generate more pressure, more havoc than he did last year. This is another guy that I think can benefit from uh, from some of the things that they're, they're emphasizing now versus last year. I mean, they, they, they coach the same thing, essentially, but it's a matter of what you tolerate. Can you, can you get more out of him? I think, again, if I'm just grading him as a body, as, you know, as what he can be, he's a guy that would probably be a, a, a quality player in the two deep of most ACC teams. Uh, even, you know, your, your top echelon ACC teams, he'd be in the, in the, in the two deep for most of those outside of maybe Florida state and Clemson. Uh, but, again, he's going to have to take just that step forward this year in order to, in order to be able to get into the backfield more in order to make sure he's not moving in the wrong direction out with bad footwork and some of those things to be able to clean up just a little bit from last year. We're talking with Jason Staples about North Carolina scouting reports, defensive tackles today. Um, if you missed cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, and edge rushers, find them on YouTube, find them on the Inside Carolina podcast feed. They're out there. And always support Johnny T-Shirt johnnytshirt.com now we're down to two guys one of which i'll start with travis shaw <laughs> fan favorite travis shaw he's another one of those guys highly recruited highly ranked um he's come in he's shown flashes jason judging from your your review and your evaluations he's the best player or could be the best player on this team at this position let's talk about travis shaw a little bit Healthy and fully engaged, he can be a big problem for most offenses. Yeah, the question is whether or not he is a fully uh, operational and weaponized <laughs> defensive tackle at this point in his career. I mean, that's that's the question. Um, you know, he, he he you said he's a fan favorite, and you know, five star prospects tend to be. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, he arrived at you know six five and change like 365 or 370. I mean, just enormous, but you know, 50 of those pounds were excess. So he needed to recompose his body. I mean, he arrived with a lot of, with a lot of baby fat and he's trimmed a good, a bit of that, you know, he he's, I think they're, they're expecting him to play to, to start the season at around 340, which, you know, that's a pretty big, difference if they if he could be down to 330 that'd be even better but he's he's we're gonna see how committed he is i think partly based on what kind of shape he shows up in and what kind of shape he shows through camp in but this is a guy that in terms of the combination of frame the ability to carry that bulk and movement the ability to move with that bulk you're talking about a top five top 15 draft pick kind of potential that that's what you're looking at the question is how much does he want to be that and how quickly can he get there the big p word potential it, 
That's right. It's potential. And, you know, Coach Bowden used to say potential means you ain't done nothing yet. <laughs> so, you know, it, what, what you look at is this is a guy that should never move backwards. Whether he's being blocked by one person, two people, or three people, this guy should not be moving. <laughs> but there were too many times last year where you'd watch him and you watch the tape and you see him stand straight up at, with his first step. The first thing you see is his pads and his helmet coming up instead of coming forward. And you go, man, son, stop trying to peek and find the ball and just obliterate the guy you're over through the gap that you're supposed to be in and just take care of that take care of that. And all the rest of it's going to look really good. And so if he can get his first and second step, under control and control his pad level. Cause again, he's almost six, six. That's always going to be an issue when you're talking about a guy that's that tall on the interior. Can he control that pad level to play with the flat back and anchor through his hips like you want? Cause if so, you're looking at a Dexter Lawrence type player. I mean, you remember Dexter Lawrence from those, those ridiculous Clemson defensive lines a couple of years ago. That's your comp for Travis Shaw. If, you, if if he comes in fully in shape and all of that, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, there are a couple plays. Uh, I think I pulled at least one of them for for the, uh, the the clips to go with the scouting report where like he he recognized like a receiver screen or whatever and drops in coverage and makes the play out on the perimeter. And you're like, oh, my gosh, look at that guy move. Freak. Unbelievable potential. And yet then you watch him against a run a little bit later and you go, how in the world does that guy get washed when, how does he get reached and then washed and then sealed inside so that they're able to get space on this short yardage play? Like, how does that happen? So that's the, that's the enigma right now. I think he's going to take a nice step forward. I think he's a guy that Carolina is counting on to take a nice step forward. And they Carolina needs him to play about 30 snaps a game. That's going to take him being in better shape, but ideally he, he rotates in with Hester at that nose tackle spot and maybe Bingley Jones as well, getting some rotation there. But if he can play 400 snaps this, this season, I think that makes a big difference for Carolina. If he can do that while maintaining a good pad level and not playing tired and not playing with his eyes in the backfield. Now, all of a sudden you're, you're dealing with a problem for other offenses. And that, I mean, he's one of those guys that can change the outlook for Carolina defensively this year, just by doing his job and doing it a, a couple ticks better than he did last year and living up to some of the potential that he brings to the table physically. Yeah. He needs to be the guy that's on the scouting report for North Carolina's defense up front. Miles Murphy, the last defense tackle you reviewed, you know, Miles is another one of those guys that flashes ridiculous potential um one play and then, and then to use your words just gets washed on out of the play and washed on off to the side way too many times um if folks are watching this his players lounge comes out tomorrow this should be tuesday afternoon that you're watching this his players lounge comes out on wednesday the 21st be sure to check it out very personable young man um great interview that taylor and joey did but jason miles's potential versus Miles' production 
going well, he's, a, he's another guy that's almost 6'4", 305, and, and I think he's going to run sub-5. I mean, he, he moves well at that size. Uh, and like you said, there are times where he just jumps off the, jumps off the screen and you just go, oh, okay, okay, wow, look at him go. Uh, and he's the one guy who last year on the interior – I mean, you saw it from Rucker every play, but on the interior, he's Murphy is the one guy who you would see once uh, Vohesek got hurt, who you would see burst off the line of scrimmage with that first step and that second step with a flat back getting penetration at different times during the year. He was the one guy you saw that from. The frustrating thing, and he was one of the most frustrating guys that I I, I, I scouted for this project. The frustrating thing is how infrequent that was there were just too many times where it, that wasn't happening now i also watching watching this i i did come to the conclusion that he he was playing i, I think he played a little nicked up early in the year he turned an ankle georgia state maybe that that makes sense early. because the, the tape suggests that the tape suggests that mm. it wasn't until after the georgia tech game or so that he was he was starting to feel himself a little bit and he looked more himself in the, in the Oregon game than he had been before. Yep. And you look at the overall reduction in pressure rate uh, last year compared to the year before. I mean, he had four sacks in 21. He had none last year. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some of that had to do with, I don't think he was playing fully healthy, uh, but he's a guy that, you know, he needs to be, he needs to be the bell cow for them uh, uh, on the interior. I mean, you can say what you want about Shaw, if Shaw becomes that, then that's even better. Oh my goodness. Right. But Murphy's the guy that when you watch him, you say, you know, the burst off the line of scrimmage from the three technique and, and in positions where he, he could potentially get into the backfield as a pass rusher and penetration and all of that. You, you, you really like what you see in some of those cases. And he's the one guy that you feel like you can get consistent pressure from if you just turn him loose. And, and I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm Carolina, I'm trying to set up some one-on-ones for him on the interior, some situations where I get him against the guard that I feel confident in, you know, who's their fourth best blocker up front. Okay. Let's arrange our front so that that guy has to one-on-one against miles Murphy and Murphy has a two-way go. That's what, that's what I do. And I think we'll see that from them this year where you're going to see Murphy in certain matchups, they're going to basically tell him, look, you're one-on-one with that guy. Just beat him. (laughs) Just go. And if he can commit to bursting off the line of scrimmage with the first step and the second step that he's shown at times, then you're talking about a guy that could get a good number of pressures and sacks in those situations. And not just that tackles for loss in the backfield, you know, against the run, that sort of thing. Again, the, the issue is the consistency on that. I mean, there are too many times where last year in particular, he played too high against combo blocks. And this was a regular theme. I mean, again, how many times have I said this? Against double teams, guy stands up, gets washed. That was a problem for the entire defensive interior last year. Murphy was no exception to that. And you saw him three yards down the field too often. He needs to do a much better job against the double teams and, and managing some of those things when he doesn't get one-on-ones. But I, I think he, I think again, he's a guy that, that should put up better production. If you look physically, 
You look at the tools he brings to the table, healthy, he should put up a better production than he did in 21, which was actually pretty good on the year. Uh, you know, he was above replacement level then, and I think he should take a step forward to be a potentially plus level player this year. Yeah, in fairness, he was hurt. He played, you know, you get a man that big with a bad leg or a bad wheel, and it's, it's a tough ask. Uh, but you're right, he plays with an anger uh, that I don't see from a bunch of the others um, on a consistent basis. Um, but those washes, you know, for everybody. So overall, Jason, looking at the defensive tackles, I led the show saying it's the most criticized bunch, and we agree that it was justifiably so, um, given the production that they put forth. How does it improve and what improves in 2023 for the defensive tackles? Well, I think the good, the, the positive news is when you look at the roster, when you look at player for player, this is a top quarter of the ACC group in terms of the personnel. There's maybe three other teams in the ACC that have anyone like a Travis Shaw on their roster. Maybe. And then you've got, you know, how many teams have a Miles Murphy? You know, seven maybe? And not many have both. And then you've got, you know, some really nice supporting pieces. I mean, not many have a Ritzy. So, I mean, there's pieces on, on, on this team that should be players. And, and that's a better place to be. I think Mac Brown would say this every, every, anytime you ask him. Would you rather have a team that, you know, you look at it and you're like, well, you know, they're getting the most out of their, out of their talent coming into the year or a team where you go, well, you know, they've got the talent to be a lot better. This is a team that, that the talent situation, the bodies are not the problem on the defensive interior. They've got to get certain things fundamentally cleaned up. And I think, you know, having talked to these guys, having looked at what they worked on in the in the offseason or in the in the spring game, what they've been working on in the offseason, they identified those things correctly. We didn't do this, 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 and this well. And you know, at the coaching clinic, uh, Monachino's presentation actually gave a variety of cut-ups where he said, Okay, let me just show you how this should be done. You know, here's a concept we run. This is how it should be done. And he shows, you know, an NFL team or you know, a really good, you know, other college program doing the same thing. And then he goes, and then this was us last year. And you can see right here and he's circling, the, you know, this defensive tackle or that defensive tackle or that end or whatever. And he's going, you notice right here, he's a half a yard off here and he needs to press this just a little bit more. If he does that, then this is a stop. Instead, this is a 30 yard game. And this is what they're doing right now. They've, they've self-scouted, they've evaluated that they've, they've preached this to these players. And like I said, the talent is not the problem. They've got enough talent to where these guys can actually be players. And the other thing that I did say last year in the 2022 scouting reports is I made the observation, you know, I'm going to go back actually and, and quote this real quick. I need to uh, look it up. This is, uh, I guess, bad uh, podcasting to, to go back and look something up. But uh, when I, you know, when I did my defensive overview last year, what I said was, you know, it's going to be, Interesting this year to see whether or not they can actually do this. So, you know, it said in terms of full impact, this is a quote from last year's scouting report. The 2023 season 
is when you'd typically expect Carolina to jump into the top tier on the defensive line as the elite talent from the last two classes fully matures. Don't expect too much from Shaw in particular this season. This season is more about getting his feet wet and getting him up to speed. Anything beyond that is gravy. The question is whether the heels can get there just a little early in 2022. Now we know the benefit of hindsight. They couldn't and they didn't. <laughs> but not. but it was it was evident then that 2023 was the year that you would expect the full benefit of recent recruiting, as I labeled it in the next paragraph, to really come out. So that's what you would expect with, with quality coaching, with quality development and all of that is 2023. These guys are now, they've been on campus long enough as a group where you're starting to expect to see their level in that top quartile of the ACC. We didn't see them get there a year early, but the bodies are there to be that in 2023. I'm, I'm, very open to the possibility that that may happen. I'm very much wait and see because, you know, we have not seen indications that they're actually going to get there. But like I said, there's enough bodies on there for, for, you know, if you're, if you tend toward optimism as a, as a Tar Heel fan to say, you know, these guys might just flip that switch and all of a sudden you've got a, you know, top, top quartile defense from being the worst defense in the ACC all of a sudden, just because those guys matured and started doing things the way that they're supposed to. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite ready to predict that, but it's not out of the question. You've got the bodies. There is the potential that it happens. And of course, potential means you ain't done nothing yet. Jason Staples breaking down the North Carolina defensive tackles uh, just for folks that like to plan, look for offensive breakdown. Um, at the last of June, I think June the 30th or so, Jason's day-by-day day or daily breakdown, the offensive line, there's a stack of those guys. So they'll run through the end of the month, then turn to the running backs, and then uh, some tight ends and some wide receivers. And then by the time you get to Ju July, mid-July, we'll talk a little Drake May. That's been Jason Staples. It still is Jason Staples. He'll be doing this all week, folks. I'm Tommy Ashley. This has been North Carolina Special Podcast, UNC Scouting Reports, the defensive tackles. Appreciate it, Jason. Thanks, Tommy. Spoiler alert, Drake May's pretty good. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.